Welcome back, boys and girls, to On The Bat Bar Podcast. This is Christopher Menning, and I hope you're all doing very, very well. Uh, today's guest is Maxime Scholter, who, as you all know, was the 11th head bartender of the Savoy Hotel in London. He left there, unfortunately, but he has a new project on, which we talk about today. And it's very exciting. Alongside the ex-Noma chef, Santiago, he has started uh, Cole, which is a mescalaria. It's a fantastic venue. Uh, from the sounds of the cocktails he's doing, it sounds great too. And there seems to be a lot of synergy between him and the chef. So we really deep dive into uh, Maxime's past through his hotel career, which spans a number of countries worldwide, which is very incredible. And we also talk about Cole and uh, some of the projects he's leading there and things he did to get started. So, uh, guys, thank you once again for joining the show. Uh, we're up to episode 32 now, which is very exciting. And like I said before in the last episode, I will be launching a book very soon. It will be on the Bat Bar podcast book, and it will be an in-depth look at all the people I've interviewed with some exclusive content, cocktail recipes from all of them. So if you like the idea of that, please sign up, subscribe. Uh, you, my email is in the link. You can also... Uh, go over to my Patreon page and you can actually join as a member and uh, give monthly donation or just give me a donation through PayPal because what I'll do will really help my podcast grow because this is a self-funded site or podcast and I really just get all the support from you guys. So thanks a lot guys. Cheers for listening. I hope you enjoy the show. Uh, yeah, if you do like this episode, then uh, show the love to me and Maxime and write a comment in the in the comment box just by saying how much you like the show. And uh, other than that, yeah, stay tuned. I've got uh, I've got about three interviews this week of really cool people. Um, and yeah, that's pretty much it from me. Thank you guys for listening and talk to you all soon. Ciao, ciao. Benjamin Franklin once said, In wine there is wisdom, in beer there is freedom, and in water there's bacteria. No bacteria here. This is On the Back Bar, hosted by Christopher Menning, an industry expert, author, and bartender who's been in the industry for over a decade. On the Back Bar is your gateway to talking to the people behind the scenes at bars, distilleries, and vineyards around the world. We'll talk to the experts in the industry about future trends, people, spirits, cocktails, wine, and everything else. So kick your feet up, pour your favorite drink, and hang out on the Back Bar. This is Christopher Menning. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, it's such a pleasure to have Maxime with us, uh, calling from England in his new restaurant. Maxime, how are you doing, man? Very good, very good. Thanks for having me on the show, by the way, and thanks for everyone who's listening. Good, no, it's a pleasure, honestly, and uh, we've got a lot to talk about, and I think a lot of people are very excited too. Uh, obviously, we just talked briefly about the new lockdown in England, and we're hoping that things will be back to normal soon. But I understand that you're still preparing for the restaurant, right? Well, yeah. I mean, um, the bar, the Mescaleria, um, was supposed to open in 10 days, actually, uh, by the time we were speaking now. Um, that's obviously postponed. But um, the restaurant was uh, open for two weeks and was trading very, very well. We were booked out basically every single day. And it was a couple of 
really intense shifts there. So that's great. So the restaurants with all the drinks and all the food that's running actually for new opening very, very smoothly. Um, mm -hmm. And now it's full steam on the Mascaleria opening, which is in the basement of, of the restaurant. Um, and yeah, basically the, the place that I'll be, I'll be running. Okay. Um, and yeah, I'm really excited. I mean, whenever we come out of this and whenever we are allowed to open, we are, we're going to open with a bang, I'm pretty sure. Good. And uh, can't wait to have guests in. Perfect. Well, same. I can't wait to visit. But uh, for the purpose of the audience and for maybe those who don't know you as well, uh, would you mind giving us your sort of rundown of, of your career and where you came from? Uh, so I'm originally from Hamburg, Germany. Um, started there, you know, after after high school and so on, started to, to work in a hotel um, as an apprentice, um, as you normally do when you want to go into the hotel you know, business. Mm -hmm. um, the, the George Hotel, which is a lovely bar, is called Akayu. Um, learned a lot. Um, still one of my favorite places to, to go back to. Um, and then, yeah, after a short time finishing my studies in, in Switzerland, right after I moved actually to Asia, moved to Hong Kong, mm -hmm. um, was allowed to do training in the JW Marriott there um in hong kong and met a fella called bryson very nice guy um and he basically showed me around that beautiful scene that there is in hong kong i mean it has developed since since back in the days there but it was already good at that point of time so a very very new thing um and then moved to bangkok actually um yeah spend a year in the in octave just right after the opening. I think they were open for three months when I arrived. I actually live um, around the corner from there. That's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Um, it's very different now, I think. I, like, I mean, it's years ago. They changed mm -hmm. a lot. Um, but yeah, I enjoyed my time tremendously in Bangkok. And it's also funny every time, every year I'm back for sure once or twice, actually, because I really, really loved it there and Thailand in general. Um, and how fast that bar culture has developed is absolutely incredible by the I way. agree uh, yeah it's it's nuts um and yeah um I had a good time there then moved funny how to Mozambique for a short amount of time okay from Africa and then did one and a half years non-alcoholic drinks in Saudi Arabia for its part in Palestine wow. um which taught me and an awful lot and stuff that I still use today because it was very, very good school to work purely non-alcoholic. And then ended up in Macau afterwards. So it's called Macau, um, was a bar manager there. Um, got it uh, with the team there in, in a sprint basically into ages 50, which I still remember very fondly. Um, and yeah, just traveled around and actually got to know Asia even better by that time. Um, and then got a call from the Savoy in London, where I then spent a short two years, unfortunately, short two years. Unfortunately. Um, as the head bartender in the American bar, um, which obviously by the pandemic cut short. Um, let's not go into too much detail about this. <clears throat> but yeah, I had to make the decision um, to, to leave the place behind. And luckily, found just shortly after this new opportunity, which I'm really excited about to be part of. So I'm still in London, Good. waiting for the call Mascaleria to open. And um, yeah, that's Great. a short as I can do with it.
Well, I mean, um, what an incredible career in, in so many different countries around the world. Like that experience alone of traveling must have been uh, sort of very eye-opening. You know, do you, do you recommend to a lot of aspiring bartenders to be able to do that? Or what sort of advice would you give to people who, who maybe want to travel as a bartender? How did you, what were some of the challenges or some of the positives you took away from it? I mean, challenges are, are fairly easy to say, you know, I mean, especially depending on what kind of passport you have, visas are a big trouble. Mm. Um, and so that's why I stick to a big hotel company like mm -hmm. um, Marriott slash Ritz-Carlton, because as soon as you reach sort of like this supervisor, assistant manager level, you can, you can easily, easier, let's say, um, travel around and, you know, they, they will apply for visas for you. Obviously, independent bars, you know, some, some will, some won't. But if you have the chance, you definitely should travel, I think. Um, look, I love my hometown and I still, my hometown is still home for me. So um, I would definitely not mind to spend the rest of my life there. Mm -hmm. But I think the, the experience that I took away from personally, right, and obviously technically, um, about the cultures, different cultures, um, how, how you work with, with um, you know, people from, from different nationalities and how the guests behaving and, you know, see all these influences, flavors, tastes, combinations. I think that really helped me out and it really, really developed me um, in terms of, and then obviously you always have to be curious, right? Mm. So I would say um, in every, if you're curious in every city, don't just go to all the bars but definitely discover the local, for example, street food and discover local markets. And, you know, I, that, that I'm very curious about markets. I love to go there because I, yeah, I find so many flavors that I would have never otherwise found before. Yeah, for sure. I do agree. And I mean, obviously, like you said, it's very unfortunate about your, your short tenor at the Savoy, but there's still two years and that must have been a great experience because for a long time, it was seen as uh, the pinnacle to get to. That position has been held by a lot of uh, very famous bartenders and including yourself now. What was that two year experience like uh, being in part of such an institution? Oh, yeah. I mean, it was it was uh, amazing. You know, um, that, that bar is, I think, a lot of people know the bar um but actually i mean not everyone has the has the chance to travel to london and, and visit the bar as well um but it, it is quite something special when you walk in um and if you're there but also you will see on what kind of business level it operates so a lot of people think it's a very boutique -y small bar where it's like really you know really relaxed and um, but you know, if you are there on a Saturday in December, you do 800 covers on 60 seats. Wow. Um, so, you know, it is absolutely backbreaking. Um, but it is amazing. You know, the stories because of the history, obviously the stories that you, that you are able to take away from there and that you hear and that guests tell you that a guest that have been there for like 40 years. Mm. Um, it's, it's amazing. Um, and I mean, I had the pleasure to work with an absolutely amazing team as well, um, which, which all now, unfortunately, or well, maybe fortunately go, go the separate ways. Obviously we're still in contact. Um, and yeah, it was fantastic. It was, it's a bit of a shame that it was cut short, you know, by, by something like this, but you know, a lot of people, you know, 
say, you know, when one door closes, another door opens, right? Um, I was still very happy to be part of it and maybe to leave a little bit of a, you know, um, of a longer lasting impression there. Good. Well, uh, we don't have to go into that at all because you've got a very exciting project coming up, which, you know, a lot of people are talking about. And actually, the question I wanted to ask first is, um, this is very different to your previous experience, right? From hotels, you're now going into uh, mescaleria. Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, mescaleria, yeah. Yeah. Is it, have you found it's um, refreshing? Oh, yeah. Yeah, like a lot. <laughs> you know, when yeah. you work in, the, in hotels, I, as you said, I spent my entire career in hotels, basically. Um, I do like hotels. Um, I feel there's always something special if you walk into an amazing hotel and then you get great service from A to Z and so on. But also a hotel as a person, if you work there, and I'm not generalizing, I'm just saying the, the experience that I had, it, there's always a limit where you can go. There's always a limit of creativity. There is a, a limit of um, what you can do with what kind of suppliers you want to work with, for example, for example, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's always a big amount of um, political uh, environment and, and uh, um, you know, diplomacy that you have to put into place to, to get to a point where you want to be. Um, so being in an alone standing place is very refreshing because you can say, oh, look, I want to have that, but can we get it from this person? Because point one, he's a nice guy. Point two, his product is better. Um, you know, it might be slightly more expensive, but I believe, you know, it will, it will benefit of what we're doing. And then you can just say, yeah, sure. Cool. Go ahead. Amazing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you have, you have that freedom. Um, I'm not working with pouring contracts here on the, at the moment, which is also something very new to me, which is great. And, you know, you can, you can change. I'm not saying, you know, this is bad. Like it's very good to, to have brands supporting you. But if you say, ah, oh, look, I would actually really love to use this gin for the drink. No, I can. Fantastic. Yeah. And obviously, um, here we have the pleasure of working with a kitchen team that is outrageously creative and passionate about their job as well, which is just beautiful. You know, you have to, you have, I know how many people are actually working in the kitchen. I think it's, it's a lot. Um, you know, all of them just are so passionate about what they're doing. And you ask a question, you get like, you get bombarded with answers and all of them are great. It's like, it's, it's amazing to, to, to be here. And I can't wait to see where this place is going. Um, and I hope obviously that our guests, as soon as we have some, they're going to see it the same way and just be happy about it. Good, good. And uh, I think for the audience, it's quite good because you're in a unique position where you've come into a bar and it's start, sort of starting from scratch. I'm sure there was something set up, but you've kind of got like an open canvas in a way. Can you tell me about yeah. the, um, the first steps you took and what you've been doing to build it up? Oh, um, well, I mean, the bar was designed, right? I, I joined the project fairly late, um, uh, in, in all honesty. Um, so they were, construction was almost finished um, when I joined and they had an idea, they had concept sort of ready. And I, I said, look, if I'm taking this job, you know, I really want to put my, my fingerprint on this, right? Yeah. Um, and there's something I inherently believe in when it comes to drinks um, for myself, um, which is, you know, flavor always needs to talk 
And for me, you know, the less almost is the more, it sounds a bit weird because some of my drinks have had a lot of ingredients inside over the past, but I always feel that, you know, for me that that's sort of one flavor profile that I want to have and make it easy to drink and, and, and every single drink should be like, okay, great. I'm going to have another one of this, mm. you know, very, very simple and not overcomplicating um, things for the guests. Because what we have here is we have a mezcal bar in the end, right? We, our majority of spirits that we're going to have are mezcal or other Mexican distillates. Um, this is on its own already for a lot of guests, very difficult because they're not necessarily used to um, having mezcal, right? A lot of people don't know about it. They still think, oh, it's that smoky tequila, isn't it? Um, and, and here I, I wanted to make a point in saying, I don't want to serve only mezcal cocktails, even though we are mezcaleria, but that's not what we want to do. So you find that only 50%, for example, of our signature cocktails will have a Mexican spirit in it. It's not even only mezcal. We use Mexican rums, Mexican whiskeys, uh, okay. Mexican liqueurs, um, color, by the way. Um, and you know that that was that was the the entire idea that I was trying to implement here from the start. That this is a place where people go to to enjoy. Good. Um, okay, then let's let's talk about the cocktail creation. Then, like, can you give us some ideas of uh, the cocktails you've got going ahead? Uh, yeah, um, it's so cool itself, the restaurant and the bar um, is all about Mexican tradition and Mexican soul um, with British ingredients, um, mostly British ingredients, obviously. So we really wanted to, we really wanted to highlight uh, Mexican spirits. Um, hence, we're working with, you know, different styles, not just tequila, not just mezcal. We try to highlight that they're amazing rums, for example, great whiskeys um, and gins, for example, coming from, from their country as well. So what we, what we are trying to do is we're using seasonal British ingredients. Um, for example, now we, we are infusing slowberries, um, sea buckthorn. So we're making our own um, slow mezcal, for example. Wow, okay. um, using sea buckthorn, using tiny crab apples that are growing here and rose hips these kind of things um, to, to make really just easy drinks. And we try to then base the, 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 the drinks and the flavor profiles onto classics. So for example, and this might be a bit boring, but I just find it delicious. So that's what's going on a menu. We're just gonna do um, a Negroni with a slow mezcal. Okay. Sounds very easy and maybe boring for some people, but it is absolutely delicious. Yeah. Um, obviously, we're playing around with a vermouth, so there's no sweet vermouth inside. Um, the slow mezcal is not on a low ABV like a like a slow gin would be. It's on very high ABV, so it's still in a groney style drink, just very very different. Okay. And obviously, we play around with garnishes as well. Um, nothing fancy pants. So there's nothing I don't know smoked or or um, you know with these with these bubble things on top um, right now. Even though I find it pretty cool. Um, you know, um, it's just easy, clean, I think, or we think delicious, and we hope our guests will as well in the future. And, um, you know, yeah, just just easy to drink, you know, not overcomplicated. 
like, you know, then we have, for example, a rum highball, where we use a Mexican, just a Mexican rum, which we pair with um, crab apples and roll sips. Um, what else do we do have? We are gonna have a Seawork Thorn French 75, which is very interesting. That sounds good. Yeah, yeah it is actually, um, it is actually quite, it's a bit weird, but also very nice. I, I don't know what people <laughs> will think, to be honest. Okay. But it reminds me, you know, um, also that's, that's sort of where our past exec from the entire team and also from Santiago, from the chef, where the, where the experience comes in. For example, they have the same thing in Mexico that they do, for example, in Thailand. Where, you know, when you go to one of those street stands and you get the mango or the, the, um, the pineapple or the farang, um, where you then just dip it into this chili salt or into yeah. chili sugar. Right. Mm -hmm. So that French 75 is going to have a homemade sort of chili, salt and sugar um, rim because that flavor reminded both Santiago and myself on on the fruit, you know, the fruit that you get on a um, on a stand. And then it just it's just nice. It's really tasty. Um, OK, sounds it. And that's where the influence sort of coming in from also from my past experience and, and from everyone's that's working here. Great. And yeah. is there quite a lot of synergy between you and Santiago, the chef? Yeah, I think, um, you know, chefs have, uh, and I've always given chefs um, things to try because they normally have a very, very well-trained palate. Mm. So I'm asking, normally my, if I create a drink, I give it at least to 15 people to try, just to see, you know, but also I give it to, to people who are not in our industry, you know, because I want to, I want to see if, is this now an industry cocktail or not? Um, do people just in general like it? So I usually give it to our um, marketing and PR team because they're very honest with their opinion as well. That's, uh, <laughs> it's always good. Yep. Um, so, and then, I mean, there, there comes some inspiration from the kitchen, for example. They, they're using, I mean, I love Seabock Thorn, but they're using Seabock Thorn in a, in a big way. So they do this Seabock Thorn reduction. Where I'm like, look, this is actually pretty cool. Um, now I started working with their reduction, but then sort of found it for myself that I need a bit of a lighter flavor profile. So I did the same style, just, I played around with it, you know? So I think there comes, you know, a little bit back and forth, um, in terms of inspiration. And then we are also using a kitchen produces a lot of waste, right? It doesn't matter how sustainable you are. There will always be trimmings and cuts that you don't use. So we're doing um, these non-alcoholics, uh, which are very common in Mexico. They're called agua fresca. Mm. So agua fresca is just a fresh water, you know, even a lemon and lime sort of soda or water, that would be, that would be an agua fresca. So we are doing two versions here where we use, for example, the pulp of butternut squash that the kitchen is using. We, the pulp, everything that would throw away, we use and we make an agua fresca out of it because that raw butternut squash has basically the flavor of a cantaloupe melon. Nice. Um, and then we're using their beetroot trimmings that they don't use. Um, we juice them and put them into, into an aqua fresca as well. Mm. So, you know, we are trying to think what can be used. To be fair, it's also economical, right? Because they would throw stuff away. We can make something out of it and actually sell mm. it to guests. So um, we're trying to use as much as we can from, from all these fresh ingredients that are coming in. Good, good. And yeah. I know that, uh, you know, I'm glad you touched on sustainability because um, it sounds like from what I've been reading in the press, that actually there's a big focus for the restaurant and for the bar. 
And can you maybe tell me about a few other uh, sustainability practices you've put in place? Oh, I mean, look, I think sustainability is, is something that should be common and normal by now, right? Um, I know there's a lot of places that are focusing a big time on it. I think here for us, we don't want to make this our marketing um, message that we are very sustainable. Okay. I think we are as much as we can, um, but there's still things being thrown away, you know? Um, and but for example, I mean, we, we pickle a lot, right? Um, so for example, what we are doing with you know, we're collecting wines and even the, the off wines that are spoiled or something, we're collecting, we're making our own vinegar to pickle in. Um, we, as I said, we're using all the trimmings. And for example, I have, I think, seven kilograms of fresh slowberries. Um, <laughs> okay. We're not going to throw that away as soon as the infusion is done. We're going to make something out of it. Same as with the Seabock form that we're infusing. So we are making a quince, a fresh quince puree for one of our drinks and the trimmings and the stems and everything else is all worked into, for example, a kombucha um, that we do um, and, um, um, and a tepache. So we're doing mm. both ways out of the quince as well. So nothing really gets thrown away of it. Um, and I think this is really as sustainable as we can be. Mm. Like we have very, do we actually have single use plastic? I don't even know. <laughs> I would have to think it, I would have to seriously think hard right now. I mean, obviously we're using backpacks, mm -hmm. but I think almost every restaurant or bar these days uses that. Yeah. So we're using backpacks. Yes. Um, but you know, for example, we have wheat straws. Um, and you know, it's, we, we try to do this as much as we can. Definitely. Good. So what's it been like, um, working with Mexican produce and with, Things like mezcal, has it been uh, eye-opening? Have you learned more since you've been working with it? Oh, yes, definitely. I, I like mezcal over the last, I don't know what to say, really. I think for the last three years, three, four years, I really dicked myself into a bit more into agave and mezcal. But since I knew I was starting here, um, it was a real eye-opener. I mean, I, I read a lot of books and articles and mm. tried myself really through the entire mezcal range that we have. Um, Brilliant. and it is absolutely astonishing about, I'm very, very much hypnotized by, by what mezcal is and what mezcal means and, you know, and, and how many different flavor profiles you have. It has that sense of terroir, you know, the sense of belonging. It is that it is a local product actually for a community, right? In, in Mexico. And, um, you know, in Espadine taste in every state different from every mezcal maker different. So it is, there's so much personality in one product, which is absolutely amazing. And the flavor profiles you get are absolutely bonkers. I mean, from the regular that you know to, we have one that everyone describes as like, oh, what's this chewing gum called? It's like juicy fruits. Yeah, tastes like juicy fruits. Wow. You okay. know, yeah, crazy. Then we have one that we just tried the other day, actually, um, from Netta, which is a, which basically tastes like briny capers with some olives in there. Um, flavor profile reaches from overripe watermelon or papaya to jalapenos. And, you know, it's just, it's just, it's insane. 
is really yeah. insane. But then there are also other products which rarely get highlighted. Our house rum, for example, is a wild fermented rum from Oaxaca. Hmm. Okay. And it is amazing because I feel it combines what you have are the sort of Latin, Latin Caribbean style rums with agricole. It's like a mixture. Mm. And it's, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful, beautiful product. It makes a banging daiquiri. Um, and um, yeah, we, we're going to use it as our house, white rum, because it's just absolutely delicious. Okay. You What's know? the rum called? Oh, um, it's from, from a brand that's called El Destilado. Okay, brilliant. El Destilado is actually a bar and, a, and an importer in, in, um, in Waka City. Mm-hmm. But there is this, um, the company here in London that imports small batches of mezcal or that rum. Um, and yeah, it's basically their, their sort of entry-level wide rum. Okay, I'll have to give it a try. So you also mentioned about um, you were looking into some resources and reading about mezcal. Could you maybe uh, list some of the books that you looked into for the audience? Oh, let me recommend you one. Sure. Um, which I think is a, is a must read, and that's um, Holy Smoke. Mm. Uh, yeah, it's called Holy Smoke. Um, it's why I like it. It's because it's written really funny as well. So you you feel like the author's actually talking to you. You okay. know. Um, yeah. Um, uh, there is the, there are two editions. So buy the second edition because it's it's overworked and it is geeky, but easy to understand and funny at the same time. Okay. So we we'll definitely recommend that one. And otherwise, you know, they're great, great sources um, in the, on the internet. Good, good. Well, I'll make sure that book's in the show notes for the audience. Uh, I mean, touching on uh, maybe industry-wide news as well, we just had the, the world's 50 best awards. Um, yeah. What was your thoughts? I mean, it, I thought the list has changed a lot this year. And personally, it was great to see so much representation from South America and Asia come into it now. What, what were some highlights you saw from it? Um. I found that last year already that Latin America um, was quite strong in the list, which is beautiful to see because, you know, finally we get a bigger global um, global mixture into it. Mm. Um, I was super happy for Connaught to win. Um, I think yep. it's long overdue and, the, the, you know, what they have done is just absolutely incredible there. Mm. You know, also it's still the same team, even after all the the pain that we've been all been through this year, it's still the same team. Yeah. They've worked hard throughout the, the first lockdown as well. You know, it's just, it's just amazing to see that that, get re- that, that gets rewarded. Mm-hmm. It's, it's fantastic. And I love the bar anyway. Um, don't want to say I'm a regular there, but I'm there a good amount of time. Um, <laughs> I've really, really enjoyed the big show of Asia and also getting different countries in. Um, yeah. I mean, Humble Bar finally made it in. One of my favorite bars in the world. Yes, um, absolutely. They were, stuck, they were stuck like on the, on the, on the, in the early 50s, the last mm-hmm. two years, yeah. which was always like, no. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's still a great achievement. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, I'm super happy that they finally made it in. Um, and uh, what's also really good to see, um, Koa. I mean, what a great oh, car. car. Yeah, we had Jake uh, on on the on the podcast recently. Epic. Bar. Yeah. Um, so I mean, I love Jay. I love Koa. Um, it is one of my favorite bars in the world. Um, I haven't been, unfortunately, what for how long now? <laughs> one year. Feels like yeah. ages. But I haven't been for a year. Um, so since the last time I've, I've been, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, I'm really really happy to see that. 
really happy to see that. I think the list is um, great. Um, we still have to think about getting more of Eastern European, I believe, um, because there are a lot of fantastic bars there that are quite, um, they're not on the map yet, I believe. Yep. Mm-hmm. But then there are so many great bars in the world and they're really just 50 to 100 slots. So it is. Mm-hmm. But I think that the list now is very diverse and is, it is um, I think it's a good list. It's evolving and it's nice to see the, the world kind of catching up as a whole now before it was sort of uh, the main cities but yeah definitely worldwide there's there's more representation and i know also um i don't know if you've seen but um the 50 best are basically doing a, a 50 next awards have you is there anyone you would like to sort of uh, shout out who you think are, are doing great things in the industry uh, but maybe aren't known about yet cool um that's an interesting question that's a tough one i know <laughs> so yeah it's a real tough one because it's funny because you know i haven't traveled in quite some time mm-hmm. so it's it's really it's really tough tough to say anything about it but you know there are so many bars as i just said there's so many bars around that do fantastic work mm-hmm. it, you know there, there needs to be more um there, there are for sure like so many bars that, that would deserve to be on that list uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, next Okay. To be fair, is at the moment is quite is quite tough for me just to pick something up that is not in the list yet. I agree. Well, okay, moving on then. Um, how about when the world's open up again and when we can all travel? What would be the first destination you go to and and like to visit again? It's definitely going to be some. I think it's going to be Mexico actually. Ah, okay. Yeah. Um, now, obviously that. I'm working with so so many of the products and being so much introduced into the culture. I really want to really want to go there. Mm. Um, I think Mexico is on on definitely number one on the list. But then I think it's, it just pulls me back to Asia. Yeah, it's gonna be Bangkok, Hong Kong, or Singapore where I want to go back to. Um, yeah, I have a lot of friends over That's in Asia, so it would be great to to see them again. Well, when you come over to Bangkok, we'll go out for a drink for sure. <laughs> Good. So, I mean, we'll, we'll wrap up very soon, Maxine. But um, once again, thank you for coming on the show. And uh, maybe just to finish off, um, would you have any advice for uh, aspiring bartenders who are just coming into the scene and maybe actually have lost their job recently over the year and uh, will be wanting to get back into it? Any advice you can give them to start off to kickstart their career? Oh, you know. Um, I would just say never give up, obviously. Times are tough, but times will get better. Um, and, you know, follow your passion because you will be rewarded for sure. If you work hard and you follow your passion, you will definitely be, be re- rewarded. Um, and what I always like to say is, um, you know, get your foundations and your basics right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then, you know, go into, go into the world outside and, and um, do, your, do your own thing. Good. Can you elaborate on the foundation of basics? Ah, I'm just, um, I'm just thinking, I'm, I brought up in a very old school bar school, if you want, you know, mm. um, and I've been reminded through my, throughout my entire career, even though when I was in the American bar, I was reminded you know, everything always comes back 
to your classic specs. It's, it's like a chef does a sauce. Right. He will always use this base sauce as his foundation and then go on from there and create his own. So sometimes you think about why does this drink not work? Why does it not balance out right? And then you go through the, the spec and you see like, shit, of course, it can't work. I don't have enough sugar in it. Like, yeah. oh, I don't have enough this in it. I don't have enough that in it. And then you just add this tiny bit of acidity, sugar, spirit, or whatever you want. And then, ping, it works. So if you have your, your basic sort of setup, you know, of drinks, correct, safe somewhere, then... Um, then I think that is, is, an amazing, is an amazing step to build upon, right? Mm-hmm. So, and that's, I think, what, I, what I'm trying to say. Because I was the same when I left Germany and I went to the next bar. I was like, I want to use whatever technology I have to make these things. But actually myself didn't understand, you know, how to make these strings balance out properly. So, and I think that is something that we all have to, you know, um, you know, enforce that because, you know, I don't know, I have a junior coming into my bar. Any bartender has a, has a junior working in the bar. That foundation is, that's our responsibility to teach that, right? As people who are a bit longer in the industry. Um, and I think, you know, that is very important. Perfect. Great piece of advice there. Maxime, it's been an absolute pleasure. Honestly, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and your experience. And for the audience, um, all of this will be in the show notes and uh, this will be released hopefully this weekend. So once again, Maxime, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. And thanks for listening. No worries. Good luck with everything. Thank you.